everybody, and welcome to the Industrial Sourcing Podcast. I'm Anne-Sophie, the founder of Ravacan, a commodity manager turned entrepreneur. We are building the next generation of supplier relationship management solutions for manufacturing companies. Really, it's going to blow your mind. Contact us on ravacan.com, R-A-V-A-C-A-N.com. First of all, let me wish you all a happy new year. I wish you health and joy for 2021. Hope we all can get the vaccine very soon so we can get together again. I know many of you have been missing visiting your suppliers. Today we are interviewing Julien Le Guénon. He's currently investment project buyer North America at Volvo Group. Well, it's not really direct sourcing, right? Julien actually kept jumping back and forth between production and non-production sourcing. And he has some really interesting stories to tell about problem solving and leading cost reduction activities for industrial companies. Hi, Julien. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year, you too. Yeah, first uh, podcast of uh, 2021. So happy to have you and to learn about your background and your career. Uh, you have quite a special career and uh, especially interesting because you have jumped between indirect and direct. So I'm cheering for direct, but uh, you might uh, share with us some, uh, some of the um, things that are crossing. Great to have you. Thank you. And I'm very excited to, um, to discuss with you about uh, yeah, where, where I come from and uh, how I see uh, purchasing now with these uh, two sides. Yeah, so it all started in France, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, I uh, actually studied purchasing. So I got graduated in uh, 2015. Before that, I, I studied three years sales in, in France and uh, I got a few internships in the UK, in Mexico. And uh, I, I was feeling I pretty much knew what I could know about uh, sales at this point when I got my bachelor degrees. And so I decided at this point, uh, it was probably a, a good idea to try something new. And uh, I looked what was possible. I looked into supply chain, risk management, and I also saw a purchasing degree. And uh, I thought that could be interesting uh, to be able to marry both, to uh, to cross the border and to see, uh, in addition of what I know from sales, what is done on the other side with purchasing. I gave it a try. And so uh, I started this degree. I did a at first, a six-month uh, internship in a, in a company named Naval. So it's a defense company. And uh, I was a, a project buyer for them. It was a great experience. Uh, so it completely confirmed my interest for the purchasing function. And then uh, from, from there, I never never left purchasing. I switched from direct and indirect, but I never, never left purchasing anymore. <laughs> Best decision ever. And uh, so, yeah, you started... <laughs> With a naval group, and then you work for another semi public company, right? That is right, yes. NG, NG used to be uh, GDF Suez, and before that, Gaz de France. So it, it's a private company, but with um, a big legacy of public purchasing. So the the process is still kind of kind of look like that. Um, it's a processes that are very strong, very heavy also. So I think for one of my first experiences as a buyer, that was pretty good to put a structure in my uh, thought process in, in the purchasing process because basically you cannot do anything without getting an approval. There, there are approvals all along the way, and so. It's good because you cannot really make mistakes because you you are controlled at many uh, steps in the process. On the longer term, I don't know if I, I would have liked it as much when uh, when I now with the experience uh, I got and with the 
possibility, flexibility uh, I've been given uh, uh, in other companies. Uh, I I would prefer uh, keeping working in companies where I can express uh, this flexibility, where I can bring something uh, different, not necessarily following a process. But at this time, I think that was uh, it. Just came at the right moment to uh, to give me a, a bit of structure in the way I, I think purchasing. Then after this experience, you moved to automotive. That is right. So I, I worked for Man uh, Diesel and Turbo. So now it's named uh, Man, Man Energy Solution. It's uh, closer to my area. So before I was uh, located in Paris, and I, I decided to go back to the west of France, uh, near near where I was born and raised, and um, and so direct purchasing. So different from uh, what I had known before, but uh, uh, very interesting. There was a lot of things that I had studied uh, during uh, uh, my uh, degree. The segments I was working on uh, was mostly the uh, all the electrical components, the ceiling solutions, and uh, the fuel injection. And the biggest action I took, uh, what I what I did and enjoyed actually uh, about this experience was uh, a big uh, cost improvement action on the ceiling uh, solutions. So basically, we figured that this uh, segment had not really been touched for many years, probably 30, 40 years since many standards were a bit outdated. One of the areas of improvement we, we took uh, for in order to reduce the cost was to uh, reduce over quality. So what we mean by that is we figured we were following some standards that were more aeronautic, so more for the, the plane industries. And, and we were producing engines for mostly for boats and uh, also trains and things of that nature. So we were definitely using a standard that was probably too high. And then we were paying for this standard uh, because everything has a cost. And um, the, the difference between the aeronautic qu uh, quality and the industry quality is the number of tests that you have between the, the, between the two solutions. And since, since we were in the industry, we did not need as many tests as in the aeronautic uh, industry. So we uh, redefined what we needed uh, and, uh, and then got, uh, got savings from that. I want to ask you if it was difficult actually to renegotiate the standards, especially with the engineers or quality managers saying that, okay, now you are trying to modify the specifications of the components for lower standard, I would say. Was it hard mm -hmm. to negotiate that internally? Yes, it was a debate to, as a buyer, re-question technical specifications because uh, it's um, very, as very often considered only the engineer should know what is the standard needed. But uh, we, we took advantage of the knowledge of the suppliers. The suppliers have different clients. So if our competitor or people from the same industry are using a certain standard, at least needs to be put on the table. Why are we paying for much better quality? How did you figure that out? Was it by, you know, analyzing the cost of your portfolio or was it by finding as many uh, cost reduction opportunities as you could? Was it the supplier coming to you? Um, it, it was a, a few uh, indicators, a few little hints that uh, I, uh, I got when I was uh, analyzing my portfolio. So the first thing is when I opened the drawing, I've seen the drawings were old, first of all, and the standards that were mentioned on the drawings were also very old. I think there were some of them that were from 1980 or things of that nature. So it was really 
possibly outdated, not necessarily, but possibly because the, the industry changed a lot within 30, 40 years. And then, uh, as you say, it's uh, taking advantage of um, the supplier knowledge and just making sure that they are aware they have a door open when they have solutions to improve the cost. Because that was probably one of the first questions I asked them. How can you help us to minimize the cost? And if you can minimize the cost of the whole process, then we can share the savings and everybody has a, a win in this uh, relationship. So that was mainly these two angles. And then it was a lot of internal discussions. We needed to come with a, a saving that was significant enough to implement even a change and even to convince the, the technical teams there, there are a lot of uh, associated risk. So then we needed to go through the PIPA process and we need to um, really convince everybody and um, and make sure that we are not adding risk on the company. We are just uh, imp improving the solution we're offering. Do you have other examples of a situation like that? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, actually, on the same, uh, during the same experience, we got the opportunity to also improve the just the packaging itself, uh, we figured something. Uh, I just so I just entered the company and uh, I just really wanted to understand what I was buying. So I decided to go to the warehouse to check these ceiling solutions to understand uh, how they are managed, where do they go within the plant from our warehouse to the production floor, what is really done with it. And, um, and so the first thing I figured when I entered the, the warehouse, uh, there was a... Um, uh, a manipulation be being made by the, the technicians to move the ceiling gaskets from one packaging to another, and I didn't. And it was all unit uh, packages. So I, I mean, by that one ceiling gasket per package, and I didn't really understand what was the benefits of it. So I, I was trying to understand what uh, what it was exactly, and I got exactly this answer I was mentioning a bit earlier. It it had always been done like that, and it's just not really been requested. And so to improve the the cost, what we did, and in in agreement with the, the suppliers that they, they also had uh, given this idea at one point to deliver in packages of a thousand gaskets instead, and then uh, having just a zip over it. And so you can just open and close it as, as much as you want. And instead of buying a thousand little packages, you buy just a large one that you uh, reuse. And do you remember the cost saving that it generated? I mostly remember um, during this experience of the overall savings. So uh, it was including that, the change of the standard, and also uh, a different a different way of getting of placing POs and getting delivered. Instead of uh, placing POs every one or two months, we decided to place yearly POs with the possibility for the supplier to deliver at different times. But just so at least they know what are the volumes coming and they have a firm commitment from the company that it will happen. So the overall saving was between 15 and 20%, or depending on the type of gaskets, wow. because there were metal, metal gaskets, there were uh, rubber gaskets. So an overall 15 to 20% over a portfolio of $1.5 million. So it was very satisfying, challenging sometimes, but uh, very rewarding uh, in the end. And then you decided to change completely. So you change country, you change commodity. Right, a, a similar industry, uh, but uh, um, uh, indeed a different, uh, different scope of work and a complete different uh, country and culture. So I, I decided to move from this um, from this position in France to a position as an indirect buyer for uh, Volvo uh, Group North America, so more the trucking industry, but 
not only also uh, uh, there's Volvo construction equipment, Panta, which is a uh, engines uh, for boats for my marine applications, Volvo buses. So yeah, complete new uh, new opportunity, new country. So the segment I got to work on when I, I joined Volvo were quite diversified. I got a, a bit of uh, HR services, of engineering services, uh, some marketing, some travel, a bit of investment too. The, the fact I was leading some sourcing cases and being support on over ones enabled me to get a little taste of everything. So it was a really good experience, very interesting to um to try something new and uh, and to also get this little time uh, that everybody needs when you get to a new country. What was the challenge for you uh, on that position? So I think the the first main uh, challenges uh, for for my personal adaptations were the uh, to adapt to the culture and to the language to uh, get really a step in. in into a new country, trying to adapt even to some things as simple as the way of measuring things or uh, which uh, can be, uh, I mean, miles or inches. I mean, that everything was uh, very different for, for that aspect. But then from a purchasing st standpoint purely, uh, one, one of the main challenges was probably um, to rationalize uh, the supplier base. Uh, there, there is a, a lot a lot of suppliers in indirect, in some segments more than others, but um, it, it, um, it, it took uh, some efforts to, uh, to, to get the best, the, the most op optimized uh, uh, supplier base to stop having uh, maybe 10 suppliers doing the same thing and bundling the volumes in order to get the best conditions with the suppliers that we have the best uh, terms and uh, that deliver overall the best quality uh, so uh, that was a um, that was one of the main focus and uh, and i got a, a case for that that um, i i worked uh, as an end-to-end -end sourcing case and just to get in short uh, we we were starting with for company cars uh in in canada we had five uh suppliers delivering exactly the same service but to different volvo uh companies and after doing a sourcing event and to uh to bundle these needs and also it needed a, a bit of internal uh, internal marketing to uh, get people on board uh, wanting to change what they were doing and in the end we have been able to bring it to only one supplier bringing 15% uh, savings on the operational cost for across the board so that was um, one of the main uh, one of the main project and the main success I got during uh, this year at Volvo uh, uh, in the USA. Uh, it's very impressive what you have achieved on, uh, on this project so you wanted to go back to uh, direct right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As you uh, as you uh, imagine, <laughs> no, yeah, I I, um, uh, I got an opportunity to to work for um, as a direct buyer. So um, this time uh, in uh, in in Canada near Montreal in Quebec. So for for the Volvo buses brand. So uh, complete different uh, different environment, a new location again, but this time uh, it was much easier for the, with the the language barrier since uh, they mostly talk English and French. So that was. Uh, quite natural uh, in the end uh, for me to to work um, for Volvo buses in Montreal, and uh, so I, I was specifically focusing on the brand uh, Nova Bus, uh, which uh, are making uh, city buses uh, for for cities in Canada and in the USA. Um, for example, you you can probably see them if you go to most of cities in in uh, in Canada, Montreal, Ottawa, uh, are strong clients of Novabus, and you have also some big U.S. cities such as Chicago or, or New York City, for example. 
And so what I was doing for them uh, was uh, in, in terms of segment management, mostly everything related to fiberglass or plastic and rubber, for example, basically everything that uh, we require a mold to get produced in the end. And then uh, some more standard solution uh, or products such as the, the wheels and tires, the fire extinguishers, sun visors, or the flexible articulation of the bus uh, for the ones that are 60 feet long. So it's been a, a very large scope in the end, uh, a lot of different products. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you, I really learned a lot through this uh, experience. And uh, it's interesting to, to learn about fiberglass and composite. Uh, can you tell a little bit what's the manufacturing process or what is different uh, from injection molding for example mm -hmm. so there are different uh, different techniques and depending on the volume that you can uh, get um, the the solution will uh, will also vary um, the, the the lowest are your volume the more I would call it artisanal. The technical uh, way of producing will, will be uh, in the end. So, for example, I figured uh, I tried to find some synergies with my colleagues uh, from trucks to see if we could take uh, advantage of the volumes of trucks we produce every year and bring some savings to the Volvo Buses brand. But the, the The number of uh, trucks produced is so different from the number of buses. We are mostly talking more than 50,000 trucks a year against a thousand buses a year. So just to give you a little order of idea. And the difference is so large that the techniques are just not the same and so the suppliers. So it was a, a bit uh, a bit more difficult for that. So basically for uh, buses, we used mostly two techniques. Uh, one was the RTM. So it's a, a double mold uh, that is um, basically, we have a, a first mold, we, we put layers in there and then the second mold comes in and uh, basically press it and you get the part i'm really trying to to make it simple but roughly that's uh, that's how it looks while the um, the other one is named the hand layup and as the the name tells uh, it is uh, made by hand it, so basically you have a, a much larger mold and then you progressively apply layers after layers uh, starting by the coating then putting the different the different layers of uh, fiberglass and then uh, after getting it dry and unmolded then you get uh, your your part for example uh, if you take the front of a bus this is a very large part that is produced at a uh, low volume so that would probably be uh, a hand layer how how difficult was was it to manage uh, such a commodity um it, it can be it can be difficult sometimes uh, it, it really depends on uh, how mature is your supplier base how um how used they are to these techniques Um, the supplier base itself, uh, from a regional standpoint, is quite limited because uh, there are not that many uh, applications to to uh, to use these uh, these techniques. Um, and that was one of the recurring problems. It was the the problem of qualities. So there there are um, some suppliers are are just specialized in this type of uh, of. Um, techniques but some of us we we had to train them and uh, to, uh, to to also make sure that we are not sole sourcing everything we are developing new suppliers so that was uh, one of the area for for improvement for for the the purchasing of, uh, of these parts and one of the big um, improvement we one of the big case we had during this year 
at Novabus. Um, it was for basically I, I was talking about this front uh, front shell, the front face of the buses. Uh, we we had some major quality issues for for this uh, with one of our suppliers, and it was resulting in a thousand dollars of uh, rebuild in on every bus, and wow. um, it, it, it was huge. Absolutely, and uh, and when you if you take it uh, to the thousand bus I was talking about a bit earlier, you you take it to a thousand bus and you multiply it by a thousand dollars and you get a million dollar of uh, rework that is obviously unnecessary, but it's just due to the the, the problems of quality. So. The problem has been uh, has been taken uh, from different angles, and uh, it was already an existing problem when I jumped into the position. But uh, I figured at this point, many approaches had been uh, thought of and tried, uh, and there was even getting to the point of trying to claim things against the supplier. And of course, the supplier was not necessarily in agreement. But in the end of the day, we were not really getting any solution and um, any positive output for both sides. So what we decided to do was to create a team to, first of all, to analyze everything uh, that was available. So basically trying to understand what are the rationals on both sides and trying maybe to find uh, a truth and also going on site uh, at the suppliers to understand better how they did it and how we can improve it for, for the future. N not trying to look into what happened before, but really trying to improve. Okay, from now on, we, we, uh, we don't get any more uh, quality defaults. And what we figured uh, when we when we got there, so we had a, a quality engineer that was uh, specialized uh, in this type of technologies. Uh, we we had the chance to have this uh, resource within uh, within the group, and uh, he figured that the the way the different layers were applied, it was not cons consistent uh, from uh, from one uh, one shell to another, and that was. Um, creating uh, this problem. Uh, the fact it was not consistent from one place to another was creating some bubbles into the into the, the fiberglass itself. And then when, after painting the shells, we would uh, heat up the shell just uh, to, um, to, to dry the paint, that's when the bubbles would go out and then make these holes into the, the front shell. So it was wow. a, a quite simple problem in the end, but it just took a lot of time to uh, identify exactly um, what is the root cause and how we improve it. And so after after we our, our quality engineer gave some advice and uh, redefined also the the way of producing a, of the supplier i mean just a, a few things really but just very important um this quality default went from a, this average of a thousand dollars a bus to an average of 50 dollars uh, so a huge uh improvement um, through uh, through this uh, this collaborative approach with the supplier. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I, I like this story because uh, it reflects how hands-on uh, direct buyers are, right? They are really involved in day-to-day -day operations, in supp uh, supplier relationship management. And you show that you are a problem solver as well by putting the team together to really uh, go there and to find uh, the root cause. Because in the... In big organizations, you might have people just throwing the hot potato at, yeah, at each other. And while supplier collaboration is very key. And uh, so it's yeah, a great story. Thanks for sharing this. I agree with you. It's really, uh, I can really relate to that uh, hot potato going from department to department and nobody wanting to uh, really look for the actual uh, problem and more saying it was not us, uh, but it was yeah. Most of the time, it's partially us too, 
but um, if we don't look into it, if we don't analyze it, we will never improve as an organization. So yeah. um, I definitely think the, the direct buyer has this role of um, making the organization better. And uh, I was teasing you earlier between, you know, direct and indirect positions. But um, so the, the current position you have is um, in indirect yet again with uh, investment uh, project buyer, right? Exactly. After uh, after this position for Volvo buses, I decided to jump back uh, to indirect uh, purchasing because I, I, I had seen a, a great opportunity uh, I, um, to to work in uh, on, on investment. So it's uh, a lot of uh, larger projects. We we are also in a phase at Volvo in North America with a lot of investment. We we invest a lot in the US in Canada. So uh, the investment commodity is very dynamic right now. Uh, so. I was part of a, a team of uh, roughly 10 buyers and I was the only one located in uh, in Canada. So I was the, the only uh, person in charge of investment uh, for, for the Canada part. And then I had a role uh, for the construction and renovation um, focused more on the US part. So I, I had this um, double hat uh, between Canada and the US with a, a bit of a different role. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a very uh, intense year. Uh, lots of projects also uh, impacted by, uh, of course, uh, the COVID situation uh, over the the last year. So it's been uh, it's been uh, an interesting, but uh, a lot of lessons learned through through this year. So, what kind of investment do you buy exactly? What is your typical day to day or? Yeah, it's kind of cliche to say that, but it's very true in investment. There are, there are a lot of things that are difficult to compare. So it can go from a $50,000 welding machine to a 1.5 million laser cutting machine for metal sheets. Uh, it can be uh, some uh, robots for the automatization of, of the lines. Uh, so that's for the what, what we call the equipment part. And then on the construction, that can also be called the real estate side. Um, then it's a lot of um, either building a whole new building that can be uh, as large as that, or it can be the, the renovation of, uh, for example, the whole roofing of the uh, of a plant or remaking a parking lot or things of that nature. So it can be uh, pretty uh, various. And then there are also some over cases sometimes of buying when we have an opportunity to buy some lands to expand the plant or when there are temporary needs for a, uh, more space, uh, mostly due to this period we are in, we develop a lot, uh, a lot of prototype, a lot of um, new products. So sometimes we need additional spaces, and can be uh, it can be some leasing of uh, of additional buildings when when required. Do you find the similarities between direct and indirect? There, there are definitely a lot of bridges uh, between direct and indirect. Uh, I, I think uh, um, when, when we were talking uh, a bit earlier about uh, my experience at Man Diesel, when uh, we we were challenging the the need uh, for uh, for the, some standards, I, I have seen things uh, that can be uh, compared. Uh, I was buying some. Uh, electrical substations so it's basically to, to give you another idea something that cost uh, a couple million dollars uh, and on this specific case we were um, buying uh, three million uh, we, we were thinking the budget we needed for two new electrical substations were um, three million dollars and uh, at this time uh, our internal stakeholder um, 
were rushing purchasing, as uh, I think every uh, buyer can uh, can relate to. Um, it, it was uh, already too late, and there was no time to put in comp under competition, no time to negotiate, of course. And uh, it was uh, we were already too late, so we needed to to buy it right now. But we decided to push back uh, and to not buy these uh, substations for uh, an historical price because the historical historical price doesn't necessarily mean the right price for the for the for the company and for this type of product. So we we decided to to push back and to uh, put it under competition. So on this market, electrical substations, the suppliers are usually qu quite well defined. I mean, there are not that many suppliers that can uh, do that, and you will probably recognize the suppliers too because because they are uh, very present on the direct side. We talk about the Siemens, the ABB, the Eaton, the Schneider. That's, uh, that's global companies that uh, touch a lot of, uh, of different things. And what I thought interesting is everybody will always have uh, a perception and a preference, but that's only a preference. And in the end of the day, it doesn't need it doesn't mean that you need brand A. It means you want brand A, but maybe brand B can be more uh, competitive for you and for the company. And it's not choosing uh, a multiple million dollar uh, investment is not to satisfy one person, it's to go for the benefit of the organization as a whole. And so basically by putting it under competition, so uh, as a reminder, we start at 3 million, we put it under competition and the first offers already came much lower. We were already at 2.4 million at this point. And then we got the, the negotiation phase uh, and we, we got closer to $2 million. So we were already a lot uh, in, a, yeah. in a much better position. And then um, it, it was so, and then there was the, uh, there was in parallel the negotiations with the suppliers for the, for the conditions, uh, the commercial terms uh, and uh, all things of that nature. And there was, of course, the internal negotiation. And I think the, the, the tougher negotiation was internally uh, to make people accept a brand that they are not used to because you will hear, um, we know this brand, uh, we already have the spare parts, we know how to... Um, we, we know how to manage uh, this brand and we know uh, how this brand reacts. But so in the end, by showing that uh, there was a real uh, advantage and also showing that... The supplier in place maybe did not come as a partner at first. Maybe it was time to introduce some competition on a specific segment. And so we so we went through that. Uh, the, we also challenged a lot of the requirements. Uh, the, some things were unacceptable for our uh, teams, uh, which is under, understandable. For example, everything uh, related to safety. We had additional layers of safety that other companies do not do, but as for but because for Volvo safety is a core value that was unacceptable to reduce the level of safety even if uh, the competition doesn't go that far mm -hmm. and but there were other things um, it was uh, specifically on the brand of uh, a transformer there was a wanted brand for the transformer but by going with another brand that is also uh, made by by a, a key uh, player on the market we could also reduce the cost through that and so Long story short, in the end of the day, we went from this $3 million to 1.7. So it was a 40% uh, saving. Just, I would say, by putting it under competition, making sure we buy really what we need and uh, and implementing the change when uh, when necessary. And I think that that was an indirect uh, purchasing case, but that could uh, definitely have happened uh, on, on the direct side. 
on the direct side too. And uh, how long did it take to end up with that result? It's been a long one. Uh, so the, the the need was initially started uh, in uh, in December, and uh, when we actually presented the case and placed this PO, it was more around July or August. So it took a couple months. Um, actually, we took uh, we took benefit also of the COVID situation uh, mm-hmm. that unstressed a lot uh, our investment project because we, as an organization, we decided to slow down the investment uh, when possible uh, to to sa- to save the cash flow until uh, we have a better visibility over the how the business how the world reacts first and how the uh, it impacts our business and um, and so when we slow down our investment then we also enabled to have a we, we got uh, the possibility to to get more time for the the negotiation phase. So uh, actually, in this situation, we were able to take advantage of COVID in order to uh, to save more money. And so, how do you see twenty twenty one coming up? What do you expect this year? Well, uh, from from a personal standpoint, I, I will first hope that uh, the situation uh, gets back to a, a certain uh, normal, so we can uh, again uh, travel. Uh, either from a personal standpoint or just even getting back to seeing our suppliers. Uh, that's something that uh, has been missing uh, over the last months, even the, the face-to-face negotiation. Uh, uh, I, I am missing uh, this part. And then, uh, well, I, I studied in a new position right now. So I uh, I will be, uh, uh, since uh, actually today was my first day as an ah. engineering services buyer. Congrats. So uh, still indirect. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> you will still be indirect, but... Um, um, hopefully, uh, and, and I'm sure uh, there will be a, a time where I will go back to direct because uh, that's what I like getting to um, keeping being out of my uh, comfort zone so I can uh, keep improving. And uh, I encourage uh, everybody who wants to uh, discover itself uh, and develop itself uh, better to uh, to try different things like that. Yeah, we love direct too. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Thank you so much. It was great to learn about you and to see how you uh, manage cost reduction in in indirect and as well to learn a little bit more about investment um, buying. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, I wish you all the best for 2021. Thank you, you too. And thank you again for the invitation. Uh, I definitely uh, have a great year and a great year to uh, also uh, everybody who will uh, listen to you. Thank you so much. Bye, Julia. Thank you. Bye.